Welcome to the Shadowscape Podcast, where we journey into the lives of the many individual creatives that make up the DNA of the music industry. From record executives to street buskers, our objective is to highlight and explore the many facets of this ever-changing ecosystem. We are here to learn, laugh, and illuminate all the building blocks that make our industry what it is. Today we are sitting down with a couple of incredibly wise and talented American singer-songwriters. The Grammy-nominated Mary Gaucher, who has found much well-deserved praise and earned numerous awards for her album, Rifles and Rosary Beads. And Texas native Jamie Harris, who has an amazing passion for music and is known for her beautifully honest and poetic songs. Our time together in New Orleans with these two was very inspiring. Enjoy. What's up? Welcome to the podcast. My name is Corey, and we are in New Orleans. My name is Sean Lee, and we are in New Orleans. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are here for the third day. We're pretty excited about today because today Vocal Lions actually starts. Yeah, it's it's the first day for everyone else. Yeah. It's the third day for us. It's the third day for us. So we're mean, already tired and sleep deprived yeah, and giddy. And, it's really not fair. Yeah. Um, but that's how we start every yeah. year. It's, it's a good. pattern. It's something we do. Yeah. But today, we are super, super excited. We have two special guests with us. Very special guests. Mary, Mary. Mary Gaucher. I almost said Mary Harris. Yeah. (laughs) Mary Gaucher and Jamie Harris. And this is Jamie Harris' second time back with us. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, Now, did you podcast with us? I didn't podcast You just videoed with us. I just videoed. Because I think last time I was at Folk Alliance, I played like 300 shows. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It happens. Yeah. You definitely got your money's worth out of that one. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is really exciting because I I feel I felt like we had a podcast while we were setting up last time. Yeah, like we I felt like we got to know each other so quickly and it was so fun. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, I gotta go. Yeah. And in fact, we could likely go back and find the archive of that. Usually, I just leave it rolling as soon as I'm set. So a lot of our conversations yeah. pre-planned. <laughs> There's are a mini in there. podcast. It's in not there. it's not to spy or anything, but there is a mini usually a mini podcast because I just want to be ready while we're setting up cameras. And so a lot of times there is some really interesting behind the scenes convo going lost on. forever yeah but we are super excited you all are here um i think we're just gonna dive into a bunch of crazy stuff but can we just get a thirty thousand view of you two and your life and what you're up to just to give some people who might not know you yet uh just a little bit more about you sure um let's see how to do this i have been in the music since uh 1996, I used to be a chef. I went to chef school and was in the restaurant business for many years and walked away from all of it. I got sober July 13th, 1990, which began my journey towards full-time music and songwriting. I moved to Nashville when I was 40. That was 2001. And uh, I've put nine records out into the world. The last uh, record I put out was uh, almost two years ago. We were blessed with a Grammy nomination, a collection of songs uh, co-written, thank you, co-written with veterans and their families. Wow. Uh, And uh, Jamie jumped into my world about a year and a half ago, um, and we fell in love. Uh, I was uh, working as a teacher at a songwriting workshop. She came in as a participant and blew my mind and shattered me into a thousand pieces. Uh, I just couldn't even believe what was coming from this woman's mouth and and her ability to capture uh, exactly what I was trying to demonstrate uh, in, in a song um, really quickly. She wrote a song uh, after I gave the group a prompt. I used the Emma Lazarus poem from the Statue of Liberty and she came up with a song so incredibly good that uh, I couldn't believe it. And um, and so we slowly moved toward each other. I tried to keep it, um, I tried to keep it professional and did actually succeed at keeping it professional. I crossed the line. And uh, <laughs> something happened with, uh, with Jamie. Uh, but she could tell you about herself. She's been at music for quite a while herself. Uh, and... Uh, uh, this uh, last year, she quit her day job, and we went on the road. She came on the road with me. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, 
You might want to tell a little bit about yourself, that uh, backstory. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, basically, I grew up in a small town outside of Waco, Texas, where there was no record store or independent radio station. And so my dad was the gateway to music for me. He put himself through college and through law school by playing in cover bands and noticed I was really interested in Emmylou Harris when I was five. And so he bought me my first guitar and then I just got obsessed with it and started writing after I saw Amy Lou and Patty Griffin and Buddy Miller and Julie Miller for the first time when I was 12 years old. And Julie Miller is actually from Waco and something about seeing someone like that on those stage with those songs really inspired me. Like, Oh my gosh, I can, I can do something like that. And, um, and so a lot of the artists, that I loved, uh, lived in Austin or spent some time in Austin. So in 2009, I moved down there and then kind of fell into a hard partying crowd and, um, eventually went to jail a couple times and quit drinking in 2014. And, um, after that, everything got better. My songs got better. And I finally was able to build up a little fan base. And I found the folk community through my friend, Betty Sue. And Betty was like a gateway to me. She brought me to my first Swerfa, my first, um, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, Kerrville Folk Festival and just introduced me to a lot of the people here in the folk community. And I found like my tribe here, I felt like. And, um, and I was finally able to build up enough of a fan base to fundraise for my first record, which Mary helped me complete and put out in 2018. So I've been playing for a long time, but I haven't really been out there with my music, um, recorded. And so this is kind of a new journey. And, In 2018, I quit my day job and went on this rocket ship with Mary and we fell in love and have been touring the world together and it's been insane. And I've learned a whole lot over the past year about what it's like, especially to be a woman on the road and the challenges that you face out there, you know, dealing with sound people and just all other things that happen that I would not have seen from my tiny little corner and just in Austin. And so um, in the past year, I also moved to Nashville and been working on writing two records <laughs> at once, which is a project. But How, How's Nashville for you guys? I've been there since 2001, so I got there right at the tail end of what I call uh, the, the, the good old days. There were still little publishing houses on Music Row. There was still uh, uh, this community of old songwriters that I just uh, absolutely adored. And I got to be a part of that as it was slowly fading into history, which was really cool. I, I've been uh, uh, on the road a lot since I moved there. The city has changed a whole lot. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed being in Nashville. It's a great place for a songwriter to live because there's so many songwriters. And we understand each other. We understand the challenges of our job. We, we have a... Uh, a different community than when I first moved there 20 years ago, but it's still a community. And uh, I, I, I've uh, I've really uh, learned a lot being in Nashville. The industry uh, has has been a part of my story. I got a, a major label record deal in Nashville. I had two uh, really significant publishing deals in Nashville, which helped get my songs recorded by other artists. Um, I learned the business in Nashville. Uh, and, you know, Jamie's just gotten there and the business has changed so much. And I don't know uh, really how Nashville's going to gonna work for Jamie and, and what she's doing. But I have a feeling already, you know, there's a label in Nashville that uh, provides label services. It's a new model. It's called 30 Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, they, the artist Check owns... White. Uh, no, that's it, not, it's, I, that's um, third man, sorry. Many, yeah. I hear that word, the first word, and I'm like, I get 30 <laughs> Well, Jack White yes. runs his operation yeah. out of Nashville, Third Man Records, which is a similar thing. Um, they, they are, uh, you know, cutting edge music, uh, business things where, where the artists own their own record, uh, and the label provides label services and you're in a partnership. So Jamie's got someone there who's interested. Uh, it's a very different environment now. But I do uh, really feel like I benefited from moving to Nashville professionally. Yeah. And I've made friendships that are really significant to me. Just songwriters that I adore. Um, one of them just passed away last week, David Olney. I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have been in his inner circle if it wasn't for living in Nashville. Got to be uh, good friends with David over many years. Uh, uh, I can go on and on about the songwriters that I've befriended there. John Prine. 
um, uh, Daryl Scott, Beth Nelson Chapman, Gretchen Peters. It goes on and on. Songwriters whose songs I've adored since I was cooking in a kitchen. And they are my friends now. And and so, uh, um, I don't know, Jamie's experience in Nashville is very different because she, she came to town uh, and barely unpacked her suitcase and we hit the road and we've been on, <laughs> on the road ever since. So, um, uh, you know, she hadn't really settled in, but... But I think uh, it's harder now than it was when I got there. It's bigger, uh, and certainly the country music scene is really different. Uh, it's it's not necessarily song based anymore. Uh, it, it, it's this, the country music business is very much like pop music. It's based in beats. Uh, computers are making a lot of the music. Uh, there's uh, upwards of a dozen songwriters on a song. It's not a single songwriter pouring, pouring their heart out. Although it does happen, our friend Lori McKenna has had great success in Nashville, uh, and is a, a standalone songwriter. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I mean, you can you can certainly talk about your experience of the city so far. I mean, yeah, it's true. I I haven't really had my chance uh, to really check it out all out yet. But we have had moments where I've shared the stage with Emmylou Harris because, you know, that's something that happens if you're in Nashville, yeah. you know, you run into Gillian Welch at the grocery store, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but the thing that, you know, oddly, even though it's a songwriter town, I think, and I'm, this might just be because I just quit my job. So before I was, you know, singing harmonies for a lot of people. And then I, I led a seven piece band and I had the stage job where I was the only employee. So now I just have more time. And I realized that, I really want to learn how to be a guitar player. So mm. I've been playing guitar for 25 years. I just took my first guitar lesson a nice. month ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've learned that I'm really interested in being in the studio and I do feel braver in asking, you know, oh, well, there are a bunch of studios in Nashville. Why not just ask, hey, do you mind if I come in and learn how to engineer and learn yeah. how to mix? And people are saying yes. So um, I haven't really dug into the songwriter community yet, but there are these other parts of my musical life that I feel really inspired to explore that I haven't before. And the community has been really welcoming for me in that way already. So. Yeah. It's such a interesting, like the whole Nashville conversation is so interesting because I feel like, once a week you get a text from a friend that's like, hey, I'm moving to Nashville. <laughs> yeah. And we actually like get criticized all the time. Like, why aren't you in Nashville? Why aren't you in Nashville? Because having like a studio in Kansas City is like, wait, why? Like you have barbecue. I get that. But like, <laughs> yeah. but what's the studio thing? So, you know, it, some in some ways for us, like seeing that community and, and seeing such a tight group of friends and it's like everybody goes there and, and, and it, it does seem bigger and cr more crowded and, and I think everyone's going, what, what do we do? How do we do this? And there are some people who've been there for a little while and, and have seen both worlds, but uh, so it's kind of, it feels a little bit like the Wild West, but it's, it's always, I think in the back of our heads, we're going, should we have moved there? Like, what what is the benefit? And as time goes on and as Nashville changes so much and as the industry changes so much, uh, it seems like it's getting less important for guys like us to do so. But it still seems like I'm having friends, songwriter friends, go there. Or like some of our friends who are, who are players, you know, all of a sudden it's like mm -hmm. they go from doing nothing and now they're like going on tour and playing with Garth Brooks and you know, do all these crazy things. And you're like... Okay, like, okay, right? that, yeah. that's, I guess it still works, but I think we get a lot of questions from people like, well, like, what do I do next and how do I build my career? And I still think in the back of 75% of people's minds, it's like, well, move to Nashville or move to Los Angeles or move to New York. And so it's, it's always interesting to kind of just um, put a thermometer to people in, in, in Nashville and just go, what's it like today? Is it changing faster? Is, are more things happening? Just kind of knowing that it's the, the Mecca for all of us who consider ourselves songwriters still, you know, it seems like one question that I'm, I'm just very curious is you, you talked about being a chef and I find that so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, 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 I love that kind of creation and that kind of art. I'm really curious what that transition was like and if that brain that you create within the kitchen was carried over into your songwriting. I know that might be a weird transition, but like I actually, I don't know. I just, I, I wonder if they play into each other whatsoever. Oh, I think so. I think in multiple ways, uh, they, they, they definitely do. There's, there's, first of all, I, I, I was part owner uh, of the restaurants I was involved in, so I learned about business. I've been part owner of three restaurants. Um, I had investors come in 
uh, and I did the day-to-day work. Uh, they were in the background uh, taking care of uh, other things, and so they just threw some money at it. They ran the books, but I ran the restaurant. And so I learned a lot about business, which was really important. I came to the music business knowing about business as an entrepreneur. And so many young songwriters and people entering the business have no clue about business. And they don't understand, look, you're now an entrepreneur. You are a brand and a business, and you got to learn how to run this. And you got to learn about how to, how to uh, monetize what you do well. And you have to learn about how, how to understand a profit and loss statement. Like going out with the seven piece band is a lot of fun, yeah. but you can't afford it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You can Have do you it had in the Austin. Card conversation before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Yesterday. you can do it in Austin when everybody lives there and they'll yeah. come to the bar and play, but you try bringing that to Holland. Right. First of all, that's seven international plane tickets. That's $7,000 right there, even if everybody stays in one bed mm-hmm. when you get there. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, understanding business was really important. And also, I think creating a restaurant from zero to opening the doors is a really uh, a creative act. i got to write the menu. i gotta write, I got to create the, the ambiance. i got to figure out uh, the vibe of this place. Um, and I think food, if you do it well is an expression of love. And music, if you do it well, is also an expression of love. And you bring that love into the work and you you show it and, and offer it to the world. And if it's working, it's received as an act of love. It's, um, you know, it, it's a beautiful, uh, um, tangible way of saying, I, I, uh, uh, I want to show, I want to show what, what my heart, uh, feels you know making a uh, a beautiful meal for people uh and writing a beautiful song and playing it for people it has a lot in common and it can also be turned into a grind and it can be turned into both of them can be turned into mcdonald's and to you know apply the mechanics of of um, repetition and industrialization uh, and the love can get lost so the challenge is not is not to lose the lose the love is to, if it's getting too big too fast and you're not feeling, you know, I'm, not, I'm not feeling the the connection to to what I do, then you got to slow down. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I feel like from both of you and hearing you, you play today and just listening to your records, there's a there's a big um, part of you that's saying, like, with cooking or with um, playing music, it, I want you to have this. Like, I mean, kind of with a an openness and a, and a vulnerability that, that this 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 took a lot from me, and I want you to have it. And uh, I really really love that song you guys shared together, and the, and the song you sh- shared after. It's a good mood setter for for this this environment right now. Um, one of the things that I'm curious of, just hearing your perspective on, um, you know, you quit your day job and now you're just basically living on the road, and you you were speaking of um, kind of uh, being around all these sound people and being around yeah. all these other people that kind of are like new parts of your life i'm wondering how that might be like influencing your perspective as a songwriter just being on the road versus being in one spot and and just how you're kind of like developing and seeing yourself grow as an artist um you know being around mary all the time and kind of all of her friends and just i'm just wondering what change is like and what that might mean for you uh, in the future as you're kind of developing um new material well it's affected me in so many ways. Like one thing that Mary has inspired me to realize is when I, you know, when I started out, I played with my dad and then I sang harmonies for a guy that was 10 years older than me. That's pretty well established. And so I've always kind of been the kid. And she told me the story about Marty Stewart and how he had to step up and not be the kid anymore. Right. Like you have to kind of own, own what you're doing. And, and I think accepting that has been, pretty intimidating you know for me like oh my god I'm on stage with Emmylou Harris but like you've listened to the trio record eight million times in your life you know these harmonies just own it like there's a reason you're in this seat but also I mean as far as songwriting is concerned um the difference between me having one other person or two harmony singers or a seven piece band is that musically I'm able to take people on a journey by throwing a guitar solo to somebody or throwing um, piano solo to somebody. And if it's just me and an acoustic guitar, I've realized that the stories are incredibly important. And one of the reasons that I turned to songwriting is because I feel like 
like I'm not the best speaker mm. and communicating through song helps me to yeah. communicate. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's been a struggle. I mean, there, there was a time I had a complete breakdown in the Netherlands going like, I can't do this. This is like, I feel like I worked so hard to do this. And now I have these huge opportunities and I'm totally blowing it. That's what it feels like. And Mary's just been so encouraging and just said, it's just a different skill set, and you'll get it. You know, just don't quit. You'll, you'll get it. And so um, it's made me recognize that if all I have to work with is my guitar and my voice, I should use my voice a lot more because for so many years I haven't put things I can do with my voice into my own writing because it feels like I'm showing off. Right. You know, and I think especially for women, there's kind of this chick singer stereotype. And I don't want to be known as a chick singer. I want to be known as a good songwriter. I want my songs to be taken seriously. And so I think I've shied away from that out of fear. And now I have to realize, like, that's an asset that I have. Not everyone has a voice like that. You should use that. And also, as far as the writing is concerned, it's really, really boring to talk about myself <laughs> on stage for 30 or 45 minutes every day. I'm so sick of me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been looking for other stories to tell or different perspectives. You know, we're talking about David Olney, what a master of perspective. And Mary's taught me a lot about the value in telling a story from a perspective that isn't your own. It makes it more interesting, you know, and I just think, I don't know. I think also a lot of what I've dealt with in my writing has certainly been about unrequited love. And now I'm in a secure relationship, which that also changes everything. Yeah. I think you become a different songwriter when you're in like a relationship that you're like, this is it. This is why I love this. And exactly. all songwriters, we're all super sad. And then we're in love. We're like, crap. <laughs> How do <laughs> my, I access that my, broken my, heart yeah, again? My broken heart was all I had. Like, I, right, I totally but it feels understand. like a privilege too. Like, mm. okay, well, there's certainly enough going on in the world. Right. Yeah. There are other people that have incredible stories that, and they might not have a voice to tell it yeah. you know i think a lot of that especially in the folk world is like how do i tell this story with respect you know how do i sing from the perspective of an incarcerated person if i'm not incarcerated you know and so what i've learned is that instead of just like like mary said i wrote that song in like two hours and i don't do a whole lot of editing and now i'm going back and looking at a lot of songs that i wrote during 2016 and 2017 when so many of my friends were dying and the world began to turn into chaos you know in a more significant way and instead of just looking at the raw emotion that came out i'm trying to figure out what really needs to happen in those songs and so it's I've edited more than I ever have in my life before. And I just feel like I've always taken it seriously, but I just want every song to be the best possible song yeah. it can be. I love editing. I, I know that sounds <laughs> so silly, but in the same way that I can have like a passionate, like I can be sitting at the kitchen table talking to my wife and just spewing all kinds of stuff. And she could say, I, I get you because she does. But, but somebody might walk in my house and not get me. And she's taught me. <laughs> Let's make them get you. She, there's been whole songs that I've written that I'm like, oh, I love this. And she's like, mm. <laughs> no, no one will understand that. And I'd start over and rewrite it from, from scratch. And that would be the song that everyone connected with. Because she taught me that in that editing, it wasn't that what I was saying was wrong. It's that I wasn't saying it to them so they could hear it. I was just saying it out of my brain and it was just splatting against the wall. So I think that's really cool. And as somebody who... As a songwriter, for me, I, I want to write songs about other people's life. But I think that that in of itself is something that is rarely done a, a lot, where people are really, really um, pulling from other people's perspective and sharing with that, that with the world. And, and obviously, your last record was all that, it seems like, for the, for the most part, from what we can tell. Can you talk a little bit about just that practice even? And you both can lean into this of just writing from other people's stories and other people's perspectives in a way that um, not only they their voice can be heard, but um, maybe yours as well. Yeah, I think all autobiography is fiction. <laughs> I like that. And and all fiction is autobiography. Mm. Um, I, even when you get behind the eyes of of another. Uh, human being and, and right from their viewpoint, you're making the choices of what you're going to have them say. Um, and so I think that, that you're going to make an appearance there no matter what. You know, the songs that I co-wrote with the veterans, um, I'm making the decisions about, about w what they're telling me uh, 
that I want to emphasize. Um, and so um, I, I, I feel like the, the, the important, the truly important part of all of this is the song. So once we start down a title or following the song, the song will tell us who it is, and it's you, and it's me, and it's strangers we haven't met. The songs introduce themselves if you put down um, your ego uh, and, and your free will and start to listen. There's, there's something in the gut. I call it the truthometer. It's that gut knowing. It's visceral. The viscera, um, in fact, science is starting to study visceral knowledge. The viscera has a wisdom that surpasses the knowledge of the brain in some ways. I got a gut feeling about that guy. I don't trust him. He hasn't done a single thing yet for me not to trust him, but there's something about him, and your gut knows way before your brain gets the evidence. And that knowing is something that's really important in songwriting. It's also something that gets broken if your childhood is highly traumatic. It, that, that breaking of that knowing can happen through gaslighting in an abusive relationship. When someone tells uh, the other that what they know to be true is false, over a long period of time, the, the person receiving the gaslighting starts to doubt the knowing and no, can no longer tell the false from the true. You know, one of the, one of the tragic uh, byproducts of alcoholism and addiction is we no longer know the false from the true. But a songwriter who's in touch with that knowing can chase that song down and listen to what it's trying to become and who it is. And so it could, it could very well uh, be a, a personal song or a song coming from someone you've never met. But the, the idea is that the song knows more than the songwriter. There's, there's a wisdom in the songs themselves. Uh, so uh, getting back to the question, writing from another perspective, um, what I try to do as a songwriter is to get to get to what, not necessarily the character is trying to say, but what the song is trying to say. Right. Mm -hmm. That's good. <laughs> There's a, there is just so much wisdom in that that I'm like post-processing. Uh, yeah. The thing about uh, fiction is autobiography and autobiography is fiction. When you flipped that um, and you do, you realize that no matter how honest we try to be, um, we are also a filter. And we're blind to huge things about ourselves. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. And we hide, you know, uh, what's the town's line? The whole, we all have holes to fill, and yeah. those holes are the all only thing real. that's real. Yeah. I, I, I picture us, if we're, trying, if we're trying to portray someone else's story, we are a mirror. And our spots and our stains and our cracks influence the image it's reflecting off of us. That's, that's the picture that I got. I would agree with that. Oh, goosebumps. Hmm. Good podcast. <laughs> See why I fell in love with her? There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of wisdom in there. Thank you. Well, Picasso said, art is a lie that points to the truth. And I love that. That sometimes early on, songwriters are trying to stick to the facts, like as if they're in a courtroom testifying. And I'll say, that line there, I don't believe it. And they'll say, but that's exactly what happened. And I'll say, I understand that that's what happened, but something else was going on there. Underneath there, there's a deeper truth, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it yet. You got to get, you got to get me there, uh, and sometimes to get me there, you got to fictionalize this. We're not in a fact-based uh, art form. We're in a truth-based art form, and there's a difference. On the side of, of songwriting and, and kind of pressing into that. Um, and I'll, and I'll say this to both of you, as a songwriter, I think we're always trying to grow and we're always trying to look for these opportunities to get better. But I think a lot of our, at least a lot of people I'm around, when they when they think of getting better, it seems like they think of getting more like someone or more like a, like an influence or, or to, it seems like there's a lot of people emulating at, and using that emulation as growth. I'd, I'd be interested, because both of you obviously incredible songwriters that that's that's a prerequisite here we know these things would be true uh, when you look ahead and you look at the future and you look you you know songs are going to continue to come out 
Would you say that, that, that there is a path that you're trying to follow in order to get better or to practice? Or are you just kind of saying, let's just see what hits me as life happens, as chaos happens, as the world turns, and we'll just see what happens. I'm just curious, for, for people who listen to this podcast, there's a lot of, there's a lot of younger artists going, I just, I just want to get there, and I'm not sure where there is, but, but, but give me a guiding light in which maybe I can learn from someone who's, who's done it more often than me. Um, I'd really love to talk about that process of growth as a songwriter. Well, actually, I'll quote Mary here. She she says this thing that I think is so true. Like, you know, if you look at Bob Dylan's first record, you know, there's one song on there that's really a Bob Dylan song. You know, if if you go through a lot of my writing, that's one of the benefits of not putting out a record until I was really, really ready. Because um, you look at my early stuff, it sounds like, you know, a Patty Griffin song or it sounds like a Dixie Chicks song or, you know, it's just, but there, there was a song that I wrote finally that I felt like was my song. It was in my voice. And what Mary says is that Jesus Christ could come down from heaven and tell you that you had to fix that song. And in your gut, you would know that there was no way you were changing that song. <laughs> do it. And I think that's it. And there's no formula. I mean, some, you know, there are some people that their first song is their voice and that's incredible and there are other people that have to write hundreds of songs to get to that voice but i think back to what mary was saying there's a gut there's knowing there's a knowing there and i know that you know i've, I've got a song right now that i've been working on for four months and the song is like nope this isn't what it needs this isn't ready yet this you know you're forcing your will on it like mary said i think just learning how to listen to what the song wants to be and right now i'm in a season of all of these songs are not ready I, if I try to force it, I go, it's just, it's not singing right or it's, it's just not the right thing. And so I'm in a period of waiting for the song to be what it's supposed to be. And maybe sometimes that takes more living. You know, do you, you have songs that you worked on for years and you, you worked on I Drink for what, three years before you yeah. got the right bridge? Yeah. Sometimes it takes more, more, uh, interactions in the world and the time, um, the songs often come, um, uh, before you're, you're able to finish them. They 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 haven't. Uh, they they come in in a flash and and they know who they are, but you don't know who they are, and you've got to stumble down Bourbon Street a few more times. <laughs> yeah. Um. But to the young songwriters who are trying to 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 improve, the the I know exactly uh, the answer, and uh, it's the hardest possible answer. The goal always is to sound more like yourself. One hundred percent. Get rid of what's false, what's derivative, what's imitative, what's uh, insincere. Get rid of the parts that are trying to impress me, mm -hmm. the parts that are looking for applause, the parts that are looking for acceptance. you got to sound more and more and more like yourself, and that's when you start to get better. And it takes some people a really long time to sound like themselves. Uh, and the way to get there is to get rid of what isn't uh, yourself, and that's not easy. That's very hard. Um, but finding your own voice is the goal. Uh, and your own voice is not uh, the, the sonic quality of your singing, um, although that's part of voice. Your own voice has everything to do with your, your soul. You're here for this short time. Show us what the vibration of you sounds like, looks like. Uh, what, is, what is your areas, areas of concern? What matters to you? What's important to you? Who do you love? How do you love? Why do you love? What hurts? Why does it hurt? Who hurt you? Get in there. Who, who, is, who is this songwriter? And sometimes you do it uh, by writing through the eyes of other people. Our friend David Olney never wrote about himself. He wasn't interested in, in the confessional songs. I see him in every one of his songs. Mm -hmm. I know when he's writing from the perspective of the iceberg, um, in a song called Titanic, and he's telling the come on to me, Titanic. He's the iceberg. Of course he is. He described that process in a podcast we listened to after he passed uh, the day after we were driving uh, down the highway and we listened to an interview he did. He said, often it's like a dream when you're writing. It's you are in your dream all the characters in the song, even when you're writing from the viewpoint of the guy preaching at the mountain next to Jesus and you're watching your crowd dwindle because this Christ guy is stealing your audience, 
you become that guy when you're writing from behind his eyes. And the, the goal is to become uh, the, 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 the voice, um, uh, the authentic voice uh, that, that can, can do that in a way that when you hear a, a Joni Mitchell song or a Neil Young song or a Bob Dylan song, how many notes in do you need to be before you know who it is? Even if it's not them. You can tell almost by the notes, their stamp of their voice is, is so vast. I know a Bob Dylan song very quickly. All the phases of Dylan, I can name it straight away, or a Neil Young song, or a Leonard Cohen song. You did that, their voice is in everything. You hit old, uh, Neil Young hits two notes on Old Black, and I know that's <laughs> Neil playing that guitar. Yeah. It's not the guitar. You know, gearheads will go, What's he running it through? What yeah. strings, what gauge strings did right. he when he, it's How's not, he humidifying it? Yes. <laughs> exactly. What water's he using? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the way his hands hold the strings, the way his other hand hits the string. That's all part of voice. The goal is to become yourself, which isn't to sing your diary to people. Yeah. Right. It's not that. That's navel gazing, which is yeah. incredibly boring. Yeah. <laughs> it transcends that. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. The goal is to become yourself. Now I feel like there was like eight T-shirts right there that I want to wear. The rest of the Folk Alliance. And, oh man! So one of the things you said you were talking about looking through other people's eyes. And as a songwriter, who's and, and both of you, I, I'm curious of. And this is a little bit of self-reflection and and knowing who you want the world to see you as. But I'm curious if there's a, a favorite place or a favorite person to see through their eyes and to write as them. And maybe that's a weird question, but I'm, I'm curious as a songwriter for both of you who write so many songs about so many different things, if there's a sweet spot in which you like to fall and you like, you, you feel good when the world sees you like that. I don't know if I feel good, but I love the underdog. Mm. Yeah, you me know, too. I love, and I love a song that by the end, I don't, I don't even know if the person's going to make it or not. You know, there's an opportunity to grab onto hope there, but is it going to work out? Who knows? I, I often don't even know. But I like the idea of singing this, singing a song from the perspective of someone that it could really go either way. Do you have an answer? To yeah, it's interesting. I, I tend to want to write from the viewpoint of outsiders, but then I, I was a full-blown adult when 9-11 happened. And watching people jump from those windows, and those were the, many of them, ultimate insiders. Hedge fund traders, people who lived on Park Avenue. The, the, the experience of 9-11 changed my understanding of what outsiders actually are. I think deep inside all of us, even the most consummate insider lives an outsider. And none of us are home here. We're visiting this planet as strangers. And so I write now with members of the military. The old me would have thought, those are insiders. They're, you know, they, they did ROTC in high school and, they, and they, they play by the rules. On most of them that I've worked with were uh, high level uh, um, uh, achievers in, in many, many ways. Uh, they did. I was a dropout. You know, I was a junkie, a drug addict. I went to jail for drunk driving. I was a wreck. A lot of these women and men were were uh, uh, had deep integrity and and didn't go down the road I went down. Uh, and then I get them. Uh, they they're wearing medals and and they're heroes and 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 I get them in 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 the the time after their service. And a lot of them have uh, deeply. Uh, 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 experienced loss and trauma, and I see I see the pain that they're in, and they're standing outside now. We we I think we've our way in and out of that status in life, uh, and so I think the that almost everybody's an outsider, and mm -hmm. uh, maybe everybody's an outsider, and 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 the insiders, um, whatever that means. Uh, are hanging on for dear life, and and there's a transient nature to all of it. So uh, I like like Jamie. I'm drawn to the characters 
who may or may not make it. We just don't know how the story ends. And of course, in the end, none of us make it. We've all got an expiration date. And we're fighting way deep down, all of us, uh, the, the, the clock. We've got a certain amount of time to do a certain number of things. So uh, getting in touch with that urgency and people uh, whose voices uh, have been wounded, that's interesting to me. How do you walk through life with that wound? How do you interact uh, carrying that weight? And I think that the song's job is to show the inside on the outside. And that's why we're drawn to songs and songwriters. It goes so far past what I call cocktail party conversation. We get to the real thing and we get to it in three and a half minutes all the way down. And um, almost any character is interesting if you go all the way in. Yeah. Yeah. And what a challenge, you know? What a challenge to go all the way down three and a half minutes and to... It's no wonder we cry so much in the middle of a song. It's like it's such a rush to get there and to see so much when so often we we don't see it all or we don't allow ourselves to see it all. We 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 can walk down the street and see so much hurt but ignore it for the sake of our own use to get to where we're going and and I feel like it's it's so easy for us to um as regular people to miss a lot, but as songwriters we we clue in on so many things and it's like <laughs> oh, how how have I neglected this part of society for so long? Or how have I not paid attention to the what the words that they're saying or how they're hurting? And uh, I feel like songwriters have such an opportunity, maybe a responsibility, even for us to be educated to the point of like feeling again, especially as societies and as cultures when we're so often particularly even maybe now with technology and and social media and and we're filled with so many things but we don't actually know how to map them all back together to Mm -hmm. to find that true self we're we're just letting things kind of seep in and and always kind of unconsciously asking ourselves, is that me there or should I have some of that or should I do some of this and I think I think it's an interesting time as a songwriter um in, 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 in some ways because of that business aspect and, and so few people knowing the business or knowing what to do with all of the art and hope and thoughts in their head with with compounded with all the society changing and world changing and worldviews changing and I'm different than my, my parents and I'm you know, everything just this big feel like a hamster wheel that we can't stop mm-hmm. and we're trying to figure out once again like how to find our true self and all of that. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit curious um, you were talking about the business side of things and how important that is. And I, I love the sincerity that you had and the smirks that you had at the same time going like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've had this talk. See something going yeah. on yeah. here. We were <laughs> talking about seeing into something. I, mm. I cannot count the amount of conversations, um, particularly we get them all the time because the majority of the work that we do right now is we're applying what we know and how we can help to get somebody to the next level. Like we want to apply ourselves in full so that you win. And, and so that's such an interesting scenario, but people are always asking me like, what do I do and how, how do I do it? And what they're constantly searching, but in your perspective and where y'all are at in your career right now, I'm kind of wondering how the business aspect and the, the, the have to's and the need to's of, of growth and of, of success or not success, how much that kind of infiltrates and works its way into what you actually want for yourselves as an artist down the road. Um, You know, how much time is spent um, thinking about we need to accomplish this or we need to get this tour or we need to record this record versus I'm just trying to write songs. Like where's that middle ground for you and how, how does maybe business influence where you want to head as an artist? Y'all can both grab oh, that one. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I'll be real honest. Like, I've always, my goal has never been to play stadiums, and mm-hmm. I kind of think I knew from There's an early age. There's terrible sound in them. Right? So. I know. I don't even, <laughs> I know, the whole deal. But I um, I knew that my my career would probably be 100, 150 people a night. If I could do that in major markets, I'd be great. You know, that's yeah. totally fine. And 
my goal has just been to be able to be, you know, respected by other songwriters. And I do a lot of work where I sing harmony for people on records and live. And super, so, super well, too. Thank you. <laughs> and I, as I was saying earlier, like part of my struggle has been I love doing that so much that I have this internal struggle. Like I don't feel this need to be a front person. I would be just as happy being a side person. So, you know, that's totally cool with me as long as I get to make music. Now, it has been my goal pretty much just to be able to survive playing mm -hmm. music, to yeah, be yeah. able to pay my bills and live comfortably and survive. I do feel like being in a serious relationship, the urgency of that has been more extreme because I love Mary and I want to be able to contribute financially to our lives together. And, and that matters so much because it's not, I'm not just thinking about myself anymore. I'm thinking about the both of us. And, but, um, I don't think it really makes its way into my writing like, oh, I got to do this and I got to put this out on this timeline and it all matters. You know, I, I don't think of things in that way. I do feel like part of what's helped me along the way for so long because I didn't I did this for so many years without having a record is just meeting other artists, meeting people that you want to collaborate with and people that you get along with. And if your gut clicks in and you say, you know what, I'd like to work with that person sonically or professionally, then I'm going to kind of wait for the right person instead of trying to force this thing on the tracks. Like I'm going to wait for the person that I really feel like understands what I do. So I move at a much, much, much slower <laughs> pace than Mary maybe. And she's taught me to kind of speed it up a little bit. But the truth <laughs> is, is that I really don't know anything about the business and I'm learning all I can from Mary. And, but I do feel the urgency of it now. Um, but I just want to play where people dig my songs and yeah, that's that's all that really matters to me. I'm, I I could probably live in a garage if it wasn't for, for Mary. You could live in a washing machine box. I could, yeah. <laughs> um, Jamie is pure artist, yeah. pure creative. She has very little business uh, experience, uh, entrepreneurial experience, and she's um, in the moment. Uh, and it's really beautiful, and it's it's really teaching me to be more present in the moment. I come more at it uh, as an entrepreneur. Um, I'm, I'm, I get a lot of pleasure out of doing business deals. I enjoy getting paid well. I like uh, nice things. Uh, I feel as though uh, a part of the challenge of this for me and the fun of this for me is to see my fees go up, is to see the record sell, is to get an audience at the end of the night to come to the table. Uh, and participate in uh, commerce with me. Uh, this doesn't even occur to Jamie Harris. I just like meeting people. Um, she I just, just like high five. Yeah, <laughs> she'll just end up in an hour long conversation with the first person in line. Everybody else will go home. She will, she will have made a new friend and no money. Exactly. And yes. that is a beautiful way to live. You have no idea how we're exactly. so happy. Yes. <laughs> we toured together for it's, ten years. It's really a beautiful way to live. We know how good this works together. This is exactly what this is. Yeah, That's exactly. Super funny. The great thing about this is that. We we're, I'm moving her along in business, and she's moving me along in human relationships. We're impacting each other, and it's nice. There's tension. You know, there's, uh, like, no, you're not playing that festival for $150. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's I nice. Know. Your friends are all going to be there, but it's going to cost you $1,000 to get there. I feel like uh, I'm listening to an oracle. This happened last week. Did it? <laughs> Someone emailed him to book me, and I was, he was like, what do you want for it? And I was like, I, I, it's 300 bucks now. He's like, it's going to be $2,000. I'm always like, back. shut up. Just let me talk. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but we had a great success. I walked her through negotiating a, her own fee with a, a festival for, for coming up this summer, and she was able to. I was able to show her. Okay, I want you to make a list of all the expenses. How many people do you want on the stage with you? How much do you want to pay them? A living wage. She's real good at paying people a living wage. Uh, how much does it cost to get there? What's the hotel's going to cost? You guys going to eat? Let's put it all in there. Okay, we got the number. You need to make that. How much do you want to pay yourself? What do you think is fair? Right. If you really do feel like you want to make $150, let's put that on the top. And we ended up with a, a, a number. Uh, and she said to the festival buyer, here's the number that I can do it for. And the email came back within five minutes. 
Let's confirm. Wow. Well, and I feel like one of my my struggles is worthiness. I was going to say, do you, you know, feel guilty asking a pro- I, I struggle with this weird guilt feeling. Oh, there are some things. Well, I mean, like, so there was a gig I did with a friend of mine two years ago. It was on New Year's, and it, it snowed, and they didn't have any heaters, and it was a nightmare, and I, it was one of the worst gigs of my life. And the next year, they said, we would like you to play this thing. And I said, hmm, what would be worth it to me? And I said, $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they would say no, yeah. but I was so traumatized. And again, you know, I have no problem doing that, or and I have no problem turning down stuff. You know, hey, we've got so-and-so's backyard grill that, you know, wants you to play play for four hours for, and I go, well, that's not what I do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to get people to dance and to buy beer at your thing. It's yeah. just, I, that's, it's a different thing. So I'll turn down gigs that don't feel right. But you know, for a festival that's in a folk community, the community that I feel like supported me and probably booked me, you know, before I could sell a whole lot of tickets to their festival. And, you know, I mean, I, I almost feel like it's a, it's a karmic transaction. Like, man, they've really, really helped me out. And I feel like this is a way that I can give back or I don't think I'm worth this much money yet in my career you know i think it's what if i get there and they figure that out exactly that's what yes. i feel exactly yeah. like i don't want to feel like a fraud or well see this know? is the challenge when you self-manage and most of us are self-managing we've got to take that artist hat off and go okay i'm the manager now i'm running jamie harris's career now even though i am jamie harris yeah. <laughs> now i'm the now i'm the manager and as your manager um, uh, we decide what we're worth. We can't let them decide what we're worth. And uh, after a number of years being in this market, I feel as though I'm worth X. Uh, and it's got to move forward. It can't stay the same over years and years and years um, because that's not growing a business. We don't want to make a killing. We want to make a living. Um, uh, but, but but the challenge is worth uh, and deciding... Uh, uh, worth, uh, and we have to make those decisions uh, uh, with information and with the value that we can bring. Um, I, you know, I, I I really do enjoy the business part. I'm good at it. Um, I, I can negotiate well, and I got that from owning restaurants. I've negotiated leases. I've negotiated with vendors. You know, uh, with, with the restaurant, they bring you a box of tomatoes. The pretty ones are on top. There's rotten stuff on the bottom. So you're gonna just Give them the money and not look at the bottom. No, you're going to take the top ones off, look in, and let them know you're awake, alert, and you know the trick. And the trick in the music business is to pay musicians as little as possible. This is the brouhaha at the Grammys right now. It's blowing up because the lawyer, Joel Katz, for the Grammys, got paid $6.5 million last year for the CBS contract that could have been negotiated by an internal lawyer. He's an outside lawyer for the Grammys. The inside lawyer could have done it for a whole lot less. And so the game, in it's a shell game in the music business, and, and it's rigged against the artist. So managers, that's been their job all along, is, is to lift the shells and go, guess what, my artist is getting paid. And now that we have to self-manage because the old model doesn't work, we have to uh, we have to understand that they're going to pay you as little as possible, and your job is to get as much as possible. It's just business. It's not personal, um, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I understand that uh, a lot of artists really struggle with that, and they do need management if they can't get to that place where you know you can you can understand that you bring. I think Jamie brings a whole lot to a festival, a whole lot. And so, uh, you know, value and worth are part of the negotiation. And, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you want to win-win. You got to find that number that they win and you win. You know, my agent of 20 years now is one of the best in the business, and he always says we want to win-win. We want a long-term relationship. We don't want to go in, make a killing. They lose their venue. Uh, what have we done? We want to do a deal that, that everybody makes a little bit. And uh, we can come back in a year and do it again. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. You know, I think that's huge. And I think that a lot of people aren't in that brain uh, because they, they don't look at it from the win-win perspective. Like knowing that like we only continue, well, the venue, the managers, the labels, everybody, we only continue if we all agree that we're all going to try to win. We're not going to, one person can't be way ahead I mean, it just doesn't work in that in that re- relationship because it just starves out one part of the element that is absolutely necessary for it to happen. And that's just a huge thing that <laughs> I've tried to teach John for one thing, just like the self-value. It's it's okay when, it, when particularly when someone call like a festival, calls they call you. you and they're like, hey, we love you. And it's like, cool, that's great. Like, 
let's make this work like you love me, not like you love me with your mouth, but when you write your check, you don't care for me that much. It's a negotiation. Yeah. And um, uh, the, really, you got to be able to take one hat off and put the other hat on. You have to. We're all wildly insecure as artists. We don't know... I mean, most of us feel truly like we're getting away with something here. Uh, <laughs> we, we literally make that things up out of thin air yeah. and land it and, and hope that people buy in. Yeah. You know, we are creatives. Yeah. We don't we, even know. If we don't know. know if it's good or yeah. if it's worth anything. And 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 then suddenly, you know, they're asking us to put a value on it. And we're just like, I do it for free. Yeah. Well, we can't do it for free. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think our, my mission statement, and it's just a good one. I'm sticking to it, is that. I want to make some money. I want to help you make some money. And in the process, along the way, let's grab the hand of somebody who's making no money and bring them along with us. Yeah. Let's build something that I win, you win, and we help other people along as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, you know, that, that, that's what we do. And um, I, I think that, that uh, uh, not everyone's going to make it. You know, most, most venues in our world close. Uh, they they uh, are, are, are small venues run as mom and pops, and at a certain point, the promoters just um, can't, can't get enough people in for this music. There's not enough uh, um, fans f for the troubadours. You know, uh, the, for, the, for the traveling songwriters, a lot of these small venues, they just can't survive. Uh, and so um, you don't want to be part of killing them, but you also don't want to commit suicide. And you gotta you gotta pick and choose, and you gotta you gotta understand some of the ins and outs of of um, of, of the reality of business. And I, and I, again, I, I'm getting I'm getting repetitive. Some artists really do need a manager because they just don't have the ability to value uh, uh, in the market, put a value on what they do. And and the challenge is, what I'm worth in Philadelphia is not what I'm worth in Los Angeles. What I'm worth in London far exceeds what I'm worth in New York. You got to understand, each town is a marketplace. Right. It's not like you set the price of the hamburger and all the McDonald's. That's going to be ninety nine cents. It's not like that. Each marketplace is different. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a super unpopular thing to say, but in that same regard, some people also don't have to make a living. Like you guys do, there, and this is a hard truth that people walk into our studio and they're seeing stars, and it's like, but you're in the dirt right now, and you're you've been playing for six months, and okay. I know you you love this, and I know your art means a lot to you, but there's a lot of people working really really hard, doing really really good stuff, and that venue doesn't have to pay you that much yet because you haven't got a single stripe on you you know like you yeah and, and, and i don't mean that in a like we shouldn't a, value you shouldn't get sh there yeah or we shouldn't value your song because you might have written one song in your life and it might have been incredible but knowing that like if you started a restaurant and it's day one probably not going to be that many people there compared to 10 years down the road and you're the you're the best place in town like there's a little bit of just kind of like earning your way there and proving to people that that value is more is either what you say or it's more than what you say and and that's just a hard a hard hard road for so many artists like young artists that we meet even at folk alliance just just we want to do it, we want to do it but the intent and hope of what you want doesn't necessarily mean your market value in those places and it doesn't necessarily mean um that 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 I would even include you or or tell you or say that you should include yourself in that in that circle. So often, like we'll meet artists that are really good, but they're not sure much about business. They they don't have a record on the table. Um, they're working on one. They don't really have like a social media presence, and but they want to go on tour. And like you said, like there's not a whole lot of room for the troubadour right now. Like there there's some, but it's not like. When we were touring like 10 years ago, you could go, you could just kind of willy nilly book a tour, get out there and just road dog it. And we could come home and we'd have profit in our pocket. We'd write more songs. We'd go back out. That's just, that's harder and harder and harder. And so I'm really trying to encourage people like you can still do it. And there's a lot of opportunity out there for you, but there's also like so much opportunity right here that you can road dog it like 
writing good songs, making a lot of great content, putting yourself in a position that when you go out into the world in two years, when you actually tour and you, you're, you're actually, you have a fan base and you have a little bit of understanding of who you are and what that inner voice is, that you aren't going to go out there and fall on your face immediately. Because I'm just not a believer for everyone that you need to go out there and fail, fail, fail. Because in the marketplace right now, I don't think there's a lot of room to pick yourself back up if you fail too many times, at least from like a mental standpoint of where most artists are, they'll go out, have 10 bad shows in a row and they're done. They just don't, they're like, man, this isn't for me. Like no one's coming out to shows when yeah. we know it took 800 bad to get to, a, to, get yeah, to a place exactly. where like, Hey, there's six people here. All right. All right. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You, you I know, mean, so, that was like one of the cool things for me having a day job was yeah. that, you know, I had a yeah. unique job where I worked Tuesday through Thursday and I did the thing where, I, you know, I, did, I didn't really do the cover thing. I, I never wanted people in the town that I lived in, in the region that I lived in to be confused about what I did. Every time they came to a shoot, show, they knew what they were going to get. And then, you know, having that day job allowed me to afford to do things like come to Folk Alliance or go to Swerfa yeah, yeah. or go to Kerrville. And one of my biggest assets was meeting other artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because the thing about other artists is they know, okay, for what you do, we can put something on in our house and we can bring people and make sure that there are people there and you make some money or we know the club that you should play. And so it's not like 10% of the bar deal, yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? And they, and, and I finally, you know, I knew it would happen before I met Mary. I didn't know any of this was going to happen, but I knew that I was within two years of quitting my job. And so what I did was I had a residency for six months in Austin. We played every week, every Thursday and uh, Jimmy LaFave's band, uh, his his band played before us. And then every week I had a solo artist or sometimes a duo that would come to town that was from, always from out of town. And I knew, I said, here's the guarantee that I can pay you. If we make more, we for sure do, but at least it's a paying gig in yeah. Austin, which is kind of hard to find if yeah, you're on yeah. the road. I guarantee you there are people that will be there that will love what you do. And then, That's you know, amazing. that turned into, all right, when I come to your town, they appreciate what you've done and you're able to to go to their town. And now I have, all right, every week for six months, I had people from all over the country and sometimes, you know, in, in Denmark that were playing yeah. this gig and they can hook me up when I go over there. You, you paid know? it forward and got and your it was always together. It was always an art. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to have this guy play because he's got 12,000 followers on Instagram <laughs> yeah. and all of that. It was like, I believe in what they do. I know it's a good fit for my audience and the people are going to dig it. It's going to be a good experience, you know? So I think p- that's part of it too, karmically, is in, if you're in a position to help people out in your home area, yeah. it'll help you. Yeah. You know the first gig I played in Austin? What's that? Sir Elizabeth Campbell's Bummer Night. Bummer Night, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, there's a songwriter that we loved. She's passed on now in Austin named Sarah Elizabeth Campbell. And on Monday nights, she'd invite out-of-town artists to come play a couple songs. Bummer night, Monday night. I love that because that's one of the hardest night. That's the hardest night of the week to book. Exactly, and they it's lived on. It's uh, at El Mercado now. I don't know if that's where it was before, but they have a huge now. Like two hundred people come every Monday. Wow. They've carried it on after she's passed. It's called Mystery Monday now, and they have a band that'll learn your songs. Bill Kirchens in the band and Bobby Callis, who played drums with Jimmy LaFave and Christine Albert, host it. And they've got one or two people from out of town that come and. It's a guaranteed. It's a, always a packed crowd. They feed you. You know. How fun is that? You want to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, in Kansas City, I was yeah. like, I don't, I don't think they'd want us. But no, no, <laughs> Kansas City. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. We run Bummer Night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're working on opening a, an event space in Kansas City, so uh, you know we'll have to. Put that on the idea board. But you're right. I mean, I've heard about this thing, you know, that you get. So, I mean, I, it's, Mary makes fun of me all the time because I'm like, my Spotify numbers are so low. She's like, yeah, but you sold 30 CDs last night yeah. playing 20 minutes, yeah. you know, which is true. And but um, but it's funny because you know there are there are people that that use the Spotify. Oh, I've got 800 and thousand followers in Chicago, yeah. and they go to Chicago and nobody comes. Yeah. I think the best way to do it is still a classic way. You just get out there and you put yourself out there and you play, right? I yeah, mean, and I think it's a lot of yes and situations. It's like you have to have social media and you have to play shows and you yeah. have to write good songs. And it and it, you know it's always this yes and thing. And you know it just goes back to what it always has been. You know, at least in the past ten years, like you got to do good stuff if you want good things to happen. You know, at least in this industry, you got to do great stuff. I would say I'm doing good stuff. Y'all are doing great stuff. <laughs> I'm working up to that. Yeah. Oh, we'll get yeah. there. Yeah, I always tell my students that the enemy 
of the great is not suck. The enemy of the great is good. If you're telling yourself it's good enough, it's not good enough. That's a, that's a little lie we tell ourselves. Well, that's good enough. It's got to be great. And you, uh, you, I mean, you're literally competing with everybody in the history of recorded music now. It's got to be great. And it's got to make people go, oh, my God, did you see that woman? You've, you've got to blow people's minds. And, 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 and it's really, really difficult. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the challenge is to bring yourself uh, into reality around your songs and your performance and keep elevating yourself. And that's done by becoming yourself more and more. Well, I really, really appreciate you guys. I know you guys have a little bit hard cut, so we want to start to wrap this up a little bit. Well, respect but that timeline. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're going to run to a panel on artist management. Hey. Mm. Are you excited about that one? I'm ready to learn. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I barely know you, and I'm just like, Sometime I want to play every song I have for you. <laughs> and I'd love for you to just tear them apart. <laughs> and, and I've never said that to another person in my life. So I sincerely mean that as a compliment. Oh, thank well, you thank so you. much for, for just like sharing the wisdom and the kindness. And, and it's just been a very heartfelt time. I really appreciate it's it. It's a pleasure to be uh, in the conversation with you. I wish you the very best with thank what you. you're doing. Likewise. You're helping a lot of people. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It's, it's fun to sit down with strangers and feel like, hey, we're not, we're not that far apart. Yeah. Like we're, 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 there's, there's enough things that connect us in our, in our, our brains and our souls to, to have that moment where it's like, hey, this is, this is real. And this is, this is what it feels like to be a human, like all the way. And um. I would just like to know, and just for anybody who's listening to this, how can we check you out and check you out, like where where you're going, what you're doing, all your your potential books and your um <laughs> and your CDs and stuff like that. How can we find you guys? Well, I'm at jamieharris.com, J-A-I-M-E-E-H-A-R-R-I-S, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the things, and you can even email me on my website if you have any questions and weird music videos, like the <laughs> awesome, an awesome video that you guys made and a weird animated video that I have of me uh, depressed to living with monsters. And mm. It's pretty fun. Hmm. I'm easy to find. <laughs> MaryGoshe.com. G-A-U-T-H-I-E-R. Yeah. And that'll have the book and your music and everything? All of it's there. I'm posting. I'm writing a book for St. Martin's Press. I'm posting paragraphs and sentences and trying to get this thing up the mountain. Book Mountain's pretty steep. Yeah, <laughs> heard. Uh, the only thing harder than writing songs is writing a book about writing songs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, better you... Than us, yes, exactly so, right. Best of luck with that. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. We've had so much fun. Thanks Thank for you. listening. I Appreciate hope you guys it. have a great day. My name is Corey. My name is Sean. This is the Shadowscape Podcast, and we will talk to you later. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please help spread the word about these amazing art makers and the continual conversation that's happening here at Shadowscape. Tell someone about it in person, online, whatever. And of course, join the family by pressing the subscribe button. This podcast was created by Shadowscape Records at our studio in the American Ice Co. building in the heart of beautiful Kansas City, Missouri. For more information, please find us online at shadowscaperecords.com or connect with us at facebook.com slash shadowscaperecords, Instagram at shadowscaperecords, and Twitter at shadowscapejams. Thanks for listening.